how good was the carol service last week? Wow. It wasn't amazing. I've been going to carol services my whole life, and uh, I, I remember distinctly as a child going to um, carol services in York, where I grew up, not the Isle of Man, as some people think, um, and it was called Carols by Candlelight, and it was in this old Tudor building called the Merchant Adventurers Hall. Um, and I, I really enjoyed elements of it. I loved uh, being in this really old building. I loved the candles because I got to like play with fire during um, the songs. Uh, the sermons I was less into, uh, and the carols were a mixed bag for me. And I, rem I remember a conversation with my mum where she said, "Do you like singing in the carols?" And I said. I think they're a bit boring because I don't really understand them. What does hail the incarnate deity even mean? <laughs> and it's kind of true. If we look at the lyrics to Hark the Herald Angels Sing, um, you've got this amazing first verse, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth, mercy mild. When I was a child, I could understand this. But then, then it gets a little bit more dense linguistically. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. What did, what did that mean? And so my mum explained it to me, and in the subsequent decades of going to many more carol services, singing this many more times, I've, I've come to love carol services in all of their fullness, and I've come to love this verse in particular, because this is a slightly quieter one before the really exciting verse where we're all hailing the heaven-born Prince of Peace and, and, and the descants are going wild and we're all having a great time. But this contains just an incredible truth that Jesus, who was adored by highest heaven, chose to come and live among us. That he hid a part of his godness. People didn't recognize him as being fully God at the time because he took on a human form. That's what that means. Hail the incarnate deity. Incarnate in flesh, deity, a God. A God in flesh. What an incredible verse to sing. And you'll be pleased to know we will be singing it later because what I want to do today is to to lead us to more worship at the end of this. I'm going to try and keep this brief so that we can come back and praise God for, for his choice to come and live among us so that he could be Emmanuel, God with us. As Dan said, we're stripping away some of the ephemera of Christmas today. We're just going to leave behind, um, you know, Mariah Carey. We're going to leave behind the ideas of presents, and we're going to leave behind caring Christmas trees. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and we are going to, um, we're going to just look at what it means that Jesus came to be Emmanuel, God with us. So we're going to read John 1. And I'm going to give us three reasons to worship through three births. So let's read John 1 together. Not together, I'll read it. But <laughs> In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Maybe you've heard sermons on this passage a hundred times in your life. Maybe this is the first time hearing about it. At the end of it, what I want us all to do, whether it's familiar or whether it's new, is to come before Jesus and worship him for the truth contained in this passage. So the first birth that we're going to talk about is the birth of Adam, or even the birth of the world. Whatever you think about how the world was created or when it was created, if you're a Christian, one thing we know is true, that Jesus was there at the beginning of it all, that he preceded the creation of the world, and that through him, all things were made. He was there with the Father Making the world. He is the creator of everything. This idea of the word was something that would have been familiar to the readers of the Bible. To the, to the Hebrew readers, the word um, was the expression of the will of God, the expression of the character of God. And to the Greek readers, it was a more abstract idea. They, they thought that there was this word that was at the center of everything that rationalized the universe. And here, John is saying that word, this idea, isn't an abstract idea, it's a person. And it's a person <clears throat> who is God. It's a person that John had met, Jesus. He gives shape to this idea of the word. What an incredible truth this is, that Jesus, who every Christian here has given their life to follow, created the world. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So pick your metaphor. He is the engineer that has created the most complex machine of all time, with trillions upon trillions of moving parts. He is the artist that has painted the most beautiful world. He is the architect that has built something of incredible intricacy. He is the author who has built a world for the greatest story of all time to play out within. <coughs> However you want to understand it, this reason alone would be enough for us to worship Jesus that he was part of the creation of the world with God the Father, that through him things were made. That is a, an, enough reason to worship. But more than that, beyond that, he then created humans. He gave life to Adam, 
to Eve, to all of humanity that would follow. And he gave Adam a commission to be the figurehead for humanity. He said they created humanity so that they could love us and that we could love God in return. And Adam was set up as the figurehead so that everyone that followed him would be part of this great lineage of being created in the image of God, of being known by him and loved by him, of taking that image out to the rest of the world. That was the commission that Adam had, to go forth and multiply, subdue and have dominion. That's about taking the image of God out to the rest of the world. And John 1 says, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Jesus gave life to us. Of course, Adam failed at that. He decided to go his own way, to reject God's will. And as a result, he cut that lineage off from this source of life. And so that everyone that followed, everyone that's born, was born into Adam's lineage, this broken one. And and no one is able to live without corruption because of it. We all in our lives end up corrupted by the fact that we are born into Adam. He, as the figurehead of humanity, let us down. And the world was forever changed. The, the great engineering feats, the great architectural accomplishment, the great work of art was tainted as a result. <clears throat> Which brings us to birth number two. The birth of Jesus. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I got to meet William Hibber Hingston, who is about a month old, and <clears throat> I just sat for an hour with him falling asleep on me um, while his older brother talked about trains and birds mostly. And I couldn't help but remember that moment as I was writing about Jesus being born. The the creator of heaven and earth, the one who was the source of life, would become something as helpless and as fragile as a baby. And in that moment, I also got a glimpse of what it might have been like for Mary and Joseph as well, as I asked James and Marianne how they were doing. I think uh, any new parents might sympathize with how tired they appeared at the time, because this baby was entirely dependent on them. And I think anyone might struggle with, uh, you know, 2 a.m. feedings and nappy changes and that kind of thing, regardless of or not of whether your baby is the Messiah and the one who's come to save the world. But Jesus, who was there in the beginning, became flesh. And flesh is so fragile... And Jesus came into a position of even greater fragility, actually. He was born into a nation that was subjugated to imperial rule. And within the first couple of years of his life, he became a refugee. He had to flee away from the place he knew. This should be such a 
mind-boggling thing for us to try and wrestle with. And, and in, throughout history, it's been intensely controversial. In the first few centuries, people were debating about how he could be fully God, yet also fully human, because these things seem to be mutually exclusive. How on earth could that be possible? Some people said, well, he, he's not fully God. He's, he's sort of secondary to God. He's He's subject to God. And then there were others who said, well, actually, he wasn't fully human. He just seemed to be human. But thankfully, there were, there were um, bishops at the time who fought for the truth that we all hold to today. And there's one in particular called Athanasius who tried to make sense of this in a passage in a book called On the Incarnation. This is quite wordy, and I'm not going to read everything that's up here, but let's just try and get our heads around how they fought for the truth of the fact that Jesus was fully God and also fully human. And I'll try and explain afterwards. For the Word, that's Jesus, realizing that in no other way would the corruption of human beings be undone except simply by dying... Well, it was impossible for the word to suffer death, being immortal and the son of the Father. For this reason, he takes to himself a body capable of death. That it, by participating in the word, who is above all, might be sufficient for death on behalf of all. And might, because of the word which had come to dwell in it, remain incorruptible. And that thenceforth corruption might be stayed from all by the grace of the resurrection. Believe it or not, that was just one sentence. Very wise man, Athanasius, not the hottest writer, I would say. C.S. Lewis would disagree with me. He was a big fan. And I think what this captures is that Jesus had to be fully human. He had to be fully human in order to be an adequate replacement for Adam. To become the new figurehead for humanity, he had to be a replacement for him. And also, he had to become human in order to die. He says, there's no other way of ending the corruption that Adam created except by dying. But it was impossible for Jesus to die at that point because he was immortal. He was the son of the Father. So he had to take on mortal flesh. He had to take on humanity. So it was necessary that he was fully human. Otherwise, the replacement wouldn't count. And everyone else that was human would stay caught in this line of Adam that was broken, that had been cut off from life. But he had to be fully God as well in order to remain incorruptible, in order to not be corrupted by the sin of Adam. And so because Jesus, the creator of all things, that we worship for his creation became a human, became something as small and dependent as a refugee toddler. Because of that, we are able to have him as our figurehead. We're able to follow him. We get this unthinkable moment of the divine author of life entering into his creation Setting, his aside, setting aside his power to assume the weakness of a baby. And that act, that one act, is yet another reason that we should be worshipping Jesus for all of eternity. And it actually leads to the, the third birth, our rebirth. At the end of the passage, it says, 
To all who did receive him, to those who believed in him, he gave the rights to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. We have the opportunity for new life. If you choose to follow Jesus, to follow his teaching, to to accept his forgiveness to receive him when so many others reject him and say no I want to follow you I want you to be the Lord of my life then you get to enter into this new humanity to be reborn to get a fresh start you were all born into Adam but to those who receive Jesus to those who believe in his name he gives the right to become children of God I'd like us to, we're going to sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing in a moment. Um, And I want you to just think about the magnificence of Jesus there before the creation of the world and the humanity of Jesus who lived as one of us, who lived among us, who got hungry, who got thirsty, who got tired, so that we could have new life. I don't know what Christmas looks like for you. Many people find Christmas a really difficult time, but I want you to to use this season to focus on Jesus, to remember what he has done for us. I I love that exercise we did earlier of remembering what life, uh, imagining what life might have been like if if we didn't have Jesus. It is such a life-changing thing to choose to follow him. And we're going to sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing. If we could just get that last verse of it up, Josh. This is what we get to worship today. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Let's worship God now. We've got time. Let's let's just listen to him. Let's lift him up. Let's give him all of the glory.